Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict. And here we are, last day of January. Just seems like last week it was Christmas, and we're almost into February. Where is the year going? I think um, this is very truthful for me, the older I get, I think the quicker time goes by. I just get to feel that way. And many people do for whatever reason. But we're into February almost. Glad you could make it here today. Um, With me, the telephone or the computer is Cara Toltzman. This will be an interesting chat, actually, because Cara is a founder of the State of Unity. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Which is a group travel company that allows adventure seekers, which I'm one of them, to form new friendships. doesn't matter what country they're from. It's global. And positively impact communities, whether it be charitable work or just being there to help them along in life and help them become strong individuals themselves. Now, adventure travel does mean education in a lot of ways. It's, it's very important to me also. But without more to do, I want to say, hello, Cara. How are you doing today? Hello, Malcolm. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a guest on your show and talk about what we're both most passionate about, which is exploring the world. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And uh, there's a lot to see out there and there's a lot to learn as well. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Now, you are the founder of a group called The State of Unity, and you have relationships with organizations but people around the world. So we'll talk about that. You've got lots of cool stories to tell, apparently. So we'll talk about those as well. You, or as your organization is, how do you help people travel the world or go to destinations, but travel with a purpose? Yeah, great question, which is the root of State of Unity's existence. Um, For anyone interested to check it out, it's stateofunity.org. And the whole foundation is um, let us help you help others help you. So if you can attest any sort of um, charity or give back or anytime you help somebody, it, you're not getting anything physical in return, but it, it really just builds up your spirit and kind of transforms you into a little bit better version of yourself. Um, So what I wanted to do, you know, I think it's, you know, traveling to different places and experiencing new cultures and seeing the landscapes and eating the food is amazing. But then if you're given the opportunity to also connect with the struggles of that place and the struggles of the people that live there and really get to understand them on a human level, it kind of transforms and elevates the whole experience to a place where you can see them as brothers and sisters in this world instead of just 
this cool country that you have a lot of great pictures from. So my goal is really to connect people on a deeper level of understanding and appreciation. Excellent. And that's very truthful, isn't it? Some of the places you go to in the world, you know they're monetary poor, but they're happy in life. And a few countries or places I've been to come to mind immediately when you said that. All these small communities could be in the um, the Himalayan mountains somewhere, close-knit community. They're happy there. Even the kids go to school in school uniform each day. They're disciplined, but they're happy there. Would they go to the big city of Kathmandu? Absolutely not. Chaotic, no. But that's the way they live, and they're happy doing it. How do you then convince people to install that sense of adventure inside of them? I believe the more you do it, the more you want to do it. But a lot of people are just stuck in their way. Said, I don't want to get on a plane. I don't, I'm just happy going to the beach. Which, eh, okay. But how do you sort of go about instilling this sense of adventure into people that they want to go out and find out how the rest of the world works? Yeah. So what I try to help people understand um, is that there's no real difference in someone who does those things and them. So I try to help break down the fears and the um, the limitations that they have in their mind to help them see that this is possible for them, that they will have a good time. And it's really, you know, it can be a bit of a handholding process in some cases, especially, you know, if this person has never left the country, if they have the fear of being somewhere where they don't speak another language or they're not real open to other kinds of food. So you know, there's always going to be those limiting beliefs, but it's helping the person see that on the other side of those, it's so much better um, that to stay in that same place just doesn't even make sense. What's your success rate? Uh, what I mean by this is you, you talk to someone who uh, may be stuck in a rut, they want to do something different. And uh, you, you may want to say, well, let's talk about adventure travel, go somewhere. And uh has that that's obviously worked for you in the past but there's sometimes when you talk to somebody they're so stuck in the ways you're wasting your breath right so you have some success in, in convincing people to to get out of town right yeah so one of my favorites um this this woman who came on our september trip to peru and we did the Inca Trail of Machu oh, yeah. Picchu, which if anyone has done that, it is a challenging trek. <laughs> Got it. And there's a lot of heights involved. And this woman was terrified of heights. Yeah. Um, and I would get emails from her and text messages maybe once a week saying, I just watched this YouTube video and there's this ledge and then there's this <laughs> stairs. And so she was just digging this hole of fear. And then my response was always, well, you're going to do it. Like this is the reward is getting through this and we'll all be in it together. Nothing's going to happen. So just kind of talking her through each of those levels. And then even when we were there, there were moments of just sheer panic where she, <laughs> I mean, to be completely honest, just crying and, you know, not being able to fall asleep at night for fear of what was happening the next day, but she did all of it. And by the last day, she was going around these steep cliffs and edges by herself without holding anyone's hand, laughing and talking the whole way. And seeing that transformation in her was really cool. And, you know, not to say it completely removed her fear of heights, but it gave her the sense of she can do it and she can accomplish it. And even though it's still scary, she knows she's capable. 
Excellent. But at the end of the day, she finally had this sense of achievement. She achieved something major in her life, and she will look back on that. that these are the types of experiences that stay in the brain cells forever, uh, which uh, is very commendable. Glad you did that, and fantastic. You could steer it in the right direction, take away her fears. There's a lot of people like that. Um, I, I haven't climbed up to Machu Picchu. You can get a bus up there, can't you? Or, you or, can. <laughs> cheats. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd uh, have to walk myself. But that's a, that's a good example of it. And there's probably people who, who maybe try something and uh, fail. But this particular lady, I can bet you that now she's got through this, she'll probably want to go somewhere else and do, do a, some other adventure trip. Is that right? I would think so. Yeah. And the, the really cool ending to it, her boyfriend at the time was with us on the journey. And after she finished the last part of what they call the, I don't like the stairs of death or something like that. When she finished that, he actually got down on a knee and proposed to her. So like she accomplished all of her fears and then she <laughs> got engaged. <laughs> That's when she finished the climb, right? Yes. <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if she didn't make it. Would he have proposed? Ah, just I a, think it's, it's a cynical question, Karen. I don't yeah. know. Carry probably. <laughs> I was going to propose, but I'm not going to now because you know. No, I don't. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it's an achievement. But convincing people to have this adventure spirit is, of course, challenging, and there is a process, of course. But you just have to uh, get them to believe in themselves and convince them that there are a lot of beautiful places in our world to see, mm-hmm. and it is educational. Yeah. And I think also it's, you know, when you get to the point where the fear of missing out becomes heavier than the fear of whatever the fear is itself. Oh yeah. I think that's when it really pulls people in. Yeah. Okay. You know, when we started talking today, you, you mentioned something that was transforming to you or transformational to you. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have two pivotal trips um, that I've done in my life, but the most recent one was Kilimanjaro. Um, I went there, uh, this would have been August of 2020. So first six months of the pandemic, um, prior to the pandemic, I had been, um, working in the corporate world and I booked this trip just because I thought, you know, the world's coming back to normal. We have (laughs) just this extended time to travel. Um, and I, I had started toying with this idea of state of unity and I work really well with details and tasks, but with big picture things, I, I tend to get a little overwhelmed and freeze. And so I was kind of in that place with state of unity when I went on this journey and Kilimanjaro, I did the six day route. And so you're just alone with your thoughts for six days in this amazing landscape, um, but also very challenging. And you're really forced to just, you have to have a strong, um, strong mentality to get through things like that, especially the last day for anyone who's done it can attest um, six hours in the dark, (laughs) but feels like a straight up incline. Um, But the saying that they have on Kilimanjaro is pole pole, which means slowly, slowly. Yeah. And you get the understanding and you, you really just big picture, you know, each day you're just putting one foot in front of the other. 
day after day after day. And by the end of it, you've climbed the largest mountain in the continent of Africa. And taking that back with me, you know, as long as day by day, I'm just working on these little tasks and, you know, checking off my little boxes, eventually I'm going to have something monumental. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that continual forward motion that gets you to where you need to be. Yeah, exactly. Now, what route did you take? I know there's three or four routes to get to the summit, isn't there? Yeah, I did the Mashame. Okay, that's about six days. That, yes. uh, I don't know, even the shortest route, uh, maybe five or six days, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's a time of, time of year. It's an extraordinary thing to do. And to be honest with you, Carl, I've thought about doing this myself. But I can imagine me going to my doctor and said, hey, doc, he said, I'm thinking about doing Kilimanjaro. And he'll probably say, no, you're not, you're not doing it. You're too old. I'm not sure if he'll say that, but it has crossed my mind a number of times. And we'll talk about Africa a bit later on. But it's a great achievement doing it. And uh, and you you obviously camp along the way, pitch tents, or, but the guys you're with or the people you're with, uh, Sherpas, they carry your gear for you, don't they? They do, yes. Yeah, they so make you're it not, very you haven't got a easy. huge bag on your back, but they used they do this stuff all the time. How many people were in your group, by the way? Yeah, so because again, it was kind of in the height of the pandemic, I was the only one in my group. And throughout the entire journey, I, you know, the majority of the trail, we were, I don't remember passing more than one or two other groups. And at the yeah. camps, there was maybe four or five other groups. So it was, it was very secluded, which was... Yeah, I was going to say, that must play on your mind. There is no fellow trekkers with you that you can just talk to, right? Right. So yeah. you have all these thoughts going through your head, but your intention is to make it. Now, I know a couple of people who have actually uh, reached the summit, and uh, but not everyone makes it, right? No, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, it's probably more challenging than you think. But you've seen those pictures of Everest where there's people lined up getting to the summit of Everest and people dropping over dead en route there, but there's a line of people that I could never do that just based on the quantity of people doing that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Not, I, I'm too old for that now, but uh, Kilimanjaro <laughs> is still in my brain cells there. But so that was one of the things that you'll remember forever. What you, there, you there was another thing you, you, you were going to mention another adventure you went on that to uh, transform your life, so to speak. Yeah. The first one, um, was right after graduating college, um, I went with a group to Southeast Asia and we visited Thailand, Laos, and um, Cambodia. And, you know, it's interesting, you growing up in the United States, you have this idea that our way of life is best and education is very important, which I do believe. Um you know, and living in a warm house and having these things and money and stability. And after going over there, and like you were saying earlier, you just see how joy-filled everybody is and how happy they are. And, you know, we visited a lot of different places from orphanages to safe houses. And everywhere we went, we asked what we could do to help them. Yeah. And not once did a single person ask for money. It was always you know, pray with us, partner with us, um, share our vision. And, you know, I'm looking around and I'm just, how can you not be asking for these things? You have nothing, but they, they don't see it as a lack. And that really kind of shattered my perception of what's needed to have a good life. 
Yeah, it, it, I know the countries you went to there um, tend to be steeped in Buddhism, which what mm. that means is wealth does not equal happiness, right? That That's quite clear. You went to Cambodia and you went to, where in Laos, like Luang Prabang or uh, Vientiane? Uh, both, yes. Yeah, both, yeah. So obviously the, the Luang Prabang, I went there about uh, three years ago, just beautiful up there. Just Gorgeous. Pe- pe- peaceful and just, uh, I remember just sit on the edge of the Mekong River there, just having afternoon tea. I'm a Brit, afternoon tea and <laughs> cake. <laughs> and it was just, I feel at peace right now. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Last week on my show, I had a guest on, uh, Leah Badgley, and she worked at the Tool Sling Tool Sling Genocide Museum in Cambodia, uh-huh. right? She spent a year working there trying to bring um, war criminals to justice. It's quite admirable what she did. So if you got time, take a listen to that podcast. And, uh, you know, she was born in uh, Yangon, Myanmar. So she's lived in that area. But I'm going to be over in Asia later on this year. I go there, typically go over that Southeast Asia every year because it's my favorite area in the world, to be honest with you. It's rich culture. Yes, food is just a rich culture, and I just love the place. And so I understand you liking it. And I found that virtually everyone that goes over there, they like it. You know, (laughs) it's a great area. Uh, Where else in Southeast Asia did you go to besides uh, Laos and Cambodia? It stuck, stands with you, keeps with you. But uh, where else did you visit? On, on that specific trip, it was Laos, Cambodia, and Thailand. Oh, Thailand. Whereabouts in Thailand? Yeah. Um, just Bangkok. Oh, uh, even Bangkok, you can just enjoy the chaos, can't you? A little. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just very alive, and the food. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, got, the food. And, 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 and they do have Indian restaurants there as well, which is good. And there's some British pubs, so I feel sort of at home there. That, that, that's great. <laughs> okay, so you've got, in State of Unity, you've got connections globally. How did you meet them? Is this you met them on your travels or you set up the organization and they came to you? How did that work? Most of them I've met throughout my travels. So these are people I've been in contact with five, 10 years um, in most cases. There are some places that were really important for me to include, like example, which I did not at the time have connections for, but you know, you <laughs> you step into your destiny and the connections seem to just line up for you. So prior to that Peru trip, um, I got in contact, just randomly met somebody where I live who knew somebody that did you know, this sort of tourism assistance in Peru and we got connected and in the person that I met here has a company that does recycled laptops. And so between the three of us, it was the perfect synergy of finding the organization that needed the assistance, having the person to, you know, have the laptops to donate and then somebody else to help with the groundwork and the trans- translating and all the details. So it was, Uh, And now we're, you know, lifelong friends and we'll continue to do year after year, these experiences. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the majority of them I've had, you know, for years and I've seen their missions grow, which is really cool. And I'm excited to see the new ones continue to grow as well. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You're always going to be keeping in touch with these people. Um, Your organization, you call it, have three main components, which is adventure, uh, you have local missions and uh, a personal connection. Personal connection is prime, um, but you do 
charity work as well. The charity work is for just local organizations and the place you go to, right? You just try and help out as much as you can. Like, is that what it is? Or you volunteer or you're banging yes. the door. They must know you're coming in the first <laughs> place, right? Yeah, they do. And it's a little different, I think, than what most people's expectations would be. So we're not showing up and, you know, building roofs and painting buildings. It's more of just gaining an understanding. Again, I feel like education and conversation is the best way to connect people. So, um, so for example, when we went to Peru, we brought each traveler um, had the opportunity to leave space in their, in their luggage for a laptop. And so on our last day there, we went to this organization called Anyanyao, who partners with the community there to help provide after-school education for kids interested in IT and computers and language mm-hmm. assistance. And so we went there, we gave them the laptops, we enjoyed a meal with the kids that go there. Uh, we got to learn about their mission and you know, you spend a half a day with these people and especially children, and it really just tugs at your heart. And so, you know, you have this really cool experience prior to that, seeing all these amazing places that Peru has to offer. And then Mm. you connect with them on that human level. And that's more of what our mission is, is to, you know, I want people to take their message home with them and continue to share it and continue to feel for them and be passionate for them and hopefully spark something inside of them to do more, whether it be where they go back home or continuing to partner with that organization or find something else, but to really just live a life of purpose. Yeah, exactly. Now, now with Peru, I've only been to Lima, the capital. I was on a business trip years ago and I didn't venture outside of the city, but Machu Picchu, just curious on that one again. From from start to finish, how, how long was the trek? Yeah, so um, the trek, so we start in, we flew from Lima to Cusco, actually. Yeah. Um, and then Cusco, you'd go to the Sacred Valley, which is gorgeous. Um, the actual trek that we were on, it was three to, I think it was four days. Four days. So the last day you wake up and you're pretty much at the gate. It's about maybe an hour or two of hiking, and then you're spending the time at Machu Picchu exploring. Exploring, and then to come down, you're walking down. It's obviously a lot easier. Yeah, you actually uh, take a bus down there. You, nobody walks down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that, that's fine. Well, I've got an idea for you because you're interested in trekking. You did Kilimanjaro and uh, you did Machu Picchu. Add to your, well, not calendar, but to-do list, um, Tiger's Nest Monastery in Bhutan. I haven't heard of it. Oh, Cara, just Google <laughs> it. Google Tiger's Nest Monastery in Bhutan. All right. Now, Bhutan is is landlocked country in in Asia. They haven't changed much in centuries. They're coming around a little bit, but at their own pace. But it's always looked on as being one of the happiest places on the planet. So if you go there you um, and you try to trek up to Tiger's Nest Monastery, it used to be, it was a meditation center, but turned into a monastery. It's on the side of a cliff. And the first thing that comes to you, well, how on earth did they build this? 30 monks live there today, but you can trek up to it 10,300 feet up. So from ground level, it's about four or five hours to get up there. But this building is something special about it. You'll know that when you go inside it, but I won't say anything, but, but just Google that. And once you read about it, you think, I got to do this, but that's that's what happened to me. I was looking for adventure ideas in in Asia, and this popped up. Said that's it. That's my next trip there. I previously trekked the Himalayas, but 
I went there. It's a fantastic experience. So check that hmm. one out. Yeah, I definitely will. You got that adventure, adventurous spirit, and you'll just love love it there as well because it it is like going back in time. People are super friendly. Anyway, just an idea for you. Yeah, so, so I'm looking always looking for another mountain to climb. So I'll add that to the list. <laughs> okay. I mean, we we've got this term, the bucket list, overused term probably. You're younger than me. Uh, what's next on your list to do? Mm. Um, personal, I would love to climb Aconcagua this year, which is the the tallest summit in South America. Yeah. Um, business-wise, I would like to see three successful dispatches this year. Um, COVID makes it extremely challenging (laughs) to plan for everything, anything. So I'll be happy with three this year, just uh, with all the issues we're still dealing with, with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, a lot to look forward to. Hopefully the current situation gets better uh, for us. September last year, I'm supposed to go to Raja Ampat, which is probably one of the best diving centers in the world for, for diving, just a beautiful marine park. Couldn't go there because Indonesia went on complete lockdown. Mm. So after all that, I went to um, Kiev in the Ukraine. Well, that's on the news now. Uh, who knows? But all I'd be thankful is I went there at the right time. And and you probably have this in your, your mind also. Part of the travel experience is planning it because you get excited. I'm going to go to this place, but planning it carefully, and you know what's coming up. So and then your calendar starts uh, getting full. When I ask you about your favorite experience, obviously Kilimanjaro is going to be one of your favorite experiences or achievements. As you know, when you travel, do adventure travel or go to a place somewhere in the world, maybe it's not as good. So what's been your sort of worst experience somewhere? Oh, gosh, worst experience. I think, uh, you know, believe it or not, I would have to say Italy. Um, I'm intrigued by this. Go ahead. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know if it's always blazing hot there in the summer, if it just happened to be the summer that I went, but it was July and supposedly record-breaking highs every day. I think it was about 110 degrees Fahrenheit the majority of the time that we were there. And of course, most of what you're doing is outside and (laughs) I just, I'll never forget myself and the other tourists, um, looking like we're about ready to pass out from the heat and fanning ourselves and the red cheeks. And uh, so the heat was exhausting. And um, there was one night that we had booked and what we believed was an overnight train from one part to another. Um, but we failed. And this is my part and not Italy's part. <laughs> so I can't blame them for this, but yeah. we failed to notice that there was a long layover and not just a long train ride and the train station closes at night. And so myself and my friend and some other travelers from Paris uh, and another small group spent the night out on the steps of the train station. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> Waiting because for the train station open. closed, right? So you can see. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So You're probably lucky the cops didn't come by and uh, take you in. Probably. Well, I, I'm assuming it probably happens a lot. I think one or two of them did walk past and, you know, we were just laying out on, I think we had a mat or I don't even remember. I didn't have a sleeping bag, but didn't sleep at all that night. <laughs> no. All right. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> Sleeping on concrete. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to mention when you go to Italy or something, you, you went to one of the, the, the cities there, you didn't quite like it or it was a bit disappointing. But, uh, but you know, Italy could be a little bit like Britain, where I'm from, that you can have really hot summers there and you can stay in a guest house and they don't have air conditioning, mm. all right? And mm-hmm. that can be a little bit problematic, but they just suck it up over there, you know. So uh, I don't know if that's the same in Italy. Probably not likely because of the summer's – most of the time, they don't get really hot, but the weather's so unpredictable in Europe these days anyway. Everywhere, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the world's crazy, isn't it? And so that's probably the word. Like, did you ever feel in danger at any one time with places you've visited? You know, it's a place a little bit scary to me. Um, you know, I have a pretty good sense of my surroundings. So there was... When I was in Panama, um, I was trying to bike. I think I was trying to go to the canal. Yeah. Um, and I had used the bike from where I was staying. And I, they have the map there. And I, I saw what looked to be a shortcut. So I thought, you know, I'll just take the shortcut instead of wrapping all the way around this outside. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a reason they route you around what they call the red zone. <laughs> Which is where you're not supposed to go. And so, you know, I'm a couple <laughs> blocks in and I'm looking and I'm kind of like, I, I don't think I should be here. I should probably. Yeah, and I'm starting to see people look at me and then a cab driver pulls up and he says, do you know where you are? And I was like, I feel like I should turn around. He's like, turn around. <laughs> turn around. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. Um, so that was kind of the worst experience I've had as far as that goes. Again, I'm well-traveled. I've grown up in cities. So I'm I stay aware of my surroundings. I know to not be staring at my phone or, you know, looking lost or anything like that, even though my appearance does stick me out more in some places than others with my light skin and red hair. But um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, that's true. But wherever you go in the world, especially even here in the United States, you go to any major city, there's places you, ju- you just don't go walking around at night, right? All major cities in the world, you know, they're places you just don't venture into. Right. When I'm going to a place that probably I'm not familiar with, I will always check on the the government websites to see what it says. But sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, they instill this sense of fear into you. That's why I look at the U.S. government website. I look at the United Kingdom government website and Canadian, because typically they all have three different views on a place, right? So take the cross-section of all of them, because I I was in uh, Russia probably – I'd say three years ago uh, in St. Petersburg. And I and they just closed the consulates there because of a spat with the uh, Russian government. And the um, US travelstate.gov said, don't go there. It's not worth it. Just don't go there. So I read the um, UK one and Canadian one, and they said, it's just fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And that's what I did, and it was just fantastic. You've been through all that, and there are great places. There's wonderful places, and more wonderful places. There are bad places. So uh, for everyone out there, just encourage you to travel a little bit more. Don't have any regrets later on in life when you physically can't do it. So that's why I keep doing it until such time I cannot. But uh, you've done a lot, Cara, in your time, and uh, I, I wish you all the best with your State of Unity organization, which sounds great. If someone wanted to reach out to you, where would they find you? I know you're on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram, right? 
Yes, I am on both of those. Um, the website is a great way to reach me. If you go to stateofunity.org, there's a section at the bottom of the homepage where you can fill out all your contact information, any questions you might have. And then obviously that would add you to our email list so that you can stay up to date on any upcoming trips and other information um, that might be relevant. Yep. Um, yeah, okay. any of those are great. And uh, you're on Instagram, and I've got that on my screen here. I got I have three monitors on my desk, which but you've got some great pictures on there as well. And it looks like you at the top of a mountain there, maybe Kilimanjaro, and you're you're in a tent somewhere. But there's great pictures, so that's good to see. State of Unity is the handle for Instagram. Okay. Well, once this gets up. Uh, put out uh, um, on the internet or gets published, all that information is going to be there for everyone to see. And uh, it's a great thing that you're doing, actually, and uh, I wish you all the best. You've got a lot of years of travel in front of you. Anything else you want to add to our discussion today? Or No, I thank you for your time. It's been great chatting with you, and hopefully we can inspire a couple of people out there to leave the fears behind and step into something that they've always wanted to try. Absolutely. Keep on doing the good work. I'm trying to do my part in my conversations on a daily basis, telling people to get out on the road, don't have any regrets um, later on in life. Do it while you can. There's plenty of beautiful things out there in our world. All right, Cara, nice talking to you. Thanks, you as well. Best of luck for you in the future and uh, keep in touch. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.